And we're back with Cibolo Creek Conversations. My name is Wyatt Marchant, and I'm here with my good friend, Mr. Paul Wilson. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. Good. Doing well. Doing well. I still struggle with what's the proper answer there. It's well, but I'm not my friend Lance Henderson, so nobody's going to call you on. <laughs> so you're good. But um, today, we wanted to talk about, unless you had anything you wanted to cover before. No, not that I can. Well, I mean, this would be a great opportunity to celebrate the the University of Texas Longhorns defeat of Alabama Crimson Tide. I mean, that that's that's big news in my world. See, the problem with bringing that up here is that I'm the only one actually in the room, and I don't care. You don't care at all. <laughs> but I'm happy you're happy about uh, it. We're very happy as Longhorn fans. There you go. We had had the chance to beat the powerhouse, the the king. That's true. But they haven't won in some time, though, huh? No, they're wrong. They, they always have a solid a few years. Well, yeah, just because they're great. But, but I read an interesting article that now that college teams can pay their athletes, um, it may change the, the ecosystem of where talent goes and how it's used. And so it's going to give other schools an opportunity to compete at bigger levels. But it'll also have, um, effects on smaller schools that can't fund that kind of a lineup. I'd be far more into, um, sports in general if all the players on the team actually came from the state that they're representing oh i agree with you i think that would be because i'm like this is just a team like there's no actual affiliation with the state these people have, like they're all they're from all over yeah no at one time that was the way it worked and so but nowadays i mean all your recruits come out of texas and florida and california and maybe States like Ohio and Michigan, but Florida and Texas are the, the big recruiting grounds. Yeah. But nobody's here to talk about that. I just wanted to take the opportunity as a Longhorn fan to celebrate our, our recent victory. Well, there you go. There you go. Good day in the Wilson household. And, and I'm going to refrain from whatever snarky comments I could make about Texas A&M or Texas Tech because we've been taking it on the chin the last couple of years from these other competing schools and just feels good to be winning again you know honestly as a non and we can move on after this but there's something <laughs> incredibly annoying about a&m like aggies yeah we, we better not go there i know that a lot of our listeners are aggies just because it's like a germ that's everywhere um <laughs> but just be quiet about it no one cares no one cares we get it you went to a&m say whoop some other time wow. okay it'd be like me really you really like talking about my high school experience a lot if you're 50 and you're talking about your college days someone is living in their uh, past our very small listening audience is just oh they're angry been reduced. Oh, they're all just doing this <laughs> no but it's it's pivotal okay well anyways right. oh, moving anyways. on to better things in fact something that might be applicable for some aggies um there's this phrase that goes on about guarding your heart wow that was a really wild transition. Now, don't get me wrong. There's, there's some, there's some UT people that probably need to do it too. But, um, uh, how do we, that was a wild, that was a wild transition, <laughs> but, um, in the church, you hear that a lot. And, um, what is it, what does guard your heart actually mean? And obviously we're not talking about the actual organ yeah. 
and you can probably you probably will get into that. But what does guard your heart mean? Because it's something that's said a lot in Christian circles and in the church. Yeah, and uh, it's kind of vague. Well, it it may be vague. It, it oughtn't be, be. It ought not to be because it's actually a biblical quote. Um, so yeah, let's just start first with so Proverbs chapter four verse twenty three. Guard your heart with all diligence, and then depending on what translation, for out of it flows, some say the springs of life, some say the issues of life. Um, it's an interesting way that it's all rendered. But um, so when we as Americans use the word heart, we almost always think in two terms. We think of the literal anatomical part of our body, that heart inside of our chest that pumps blood throughout our body. Um, as Americans, we also use the word heart to describe like deep emotions. I love you with all of my heart. Um, in the Bible, it's used very differently. The word heart, you may find a reference to the physical heart in a human being. Um, but emotionally or passionately, the word heart doesn't represent that love or, you know, anything deeply felt. In fact, in Eastern language, the word heart, I mean, the word like love is really rooted in the gut. It's like they would say, I love you with all of my bowels. Now, we have a completely different connotation to all that. But they're basically describing that really deep emotions, feelings, passion is kind of rooted way down deep inside of who we are. Almost like what we would, that same place where you'd say, like, I'm just, my, I'm, I'm instinctually feeling this or that, maybe. Like, I have yeah. a gut feeling. Yeah, gut feeling is, is really what they describe as love or emotion or feeling of passion. So the word heart, almost certainly more times than not in the Bible, it's primarily used to describe kind of the center of our being. I've described it as kind of grand central station of who we are, like everything runs through the heart. Hmm. Um, you could think of it as like the operating system that drives a computer, like it's all kind of sourced there in that operating system. Um, another way I've described it is it's the, it's the grid work or the filter through which we view all of life. And in that Grid work are things like our values, our beliefs, our education, our experiences, um, our things we felt and have endured in life. That's all shapes that central part of who we are. And so what Proverbs is saying is guard, protect, um, in a sense, insulate that very center of your being because everything flows out of it. So every decision that we make, every choice that we make, every belief that we believe, um, every action that we take is ultimately informed by the center of our being, which the Bible calls the heart. That's why Proverbs is saying, guard that place because everything flows out of it. And, um, it's, it's a really, really powerful verse. It's been uh, especially powerful in my life because of some of the, my journey. And, um, you know, when I, I think I mentioned last week when we were talking, uh, I took a couple of preaching classes when I was in college and graduate school as part of my degree program. And 
one of the assignments along the way was that we had to read or listen to other preachers and just get familiar with different styles and different approaches and different personalities. And along the way, I came across a couple of preachers that I was like, wow, I really, really enjoy how they do it or what they do. And last week I mentioned Robert G. Lee, who was a, a Southern Baptist preacher back in the, I think, 40s. Um, another preacher that I ran across, his name was uh, Peter Marshall. And uh, he was a Presbyterian minister. And he was very theologically rich, biblically sound. He just had a very fascinating way of teaching and preaching. He was more poetic, more creative. He used a lot of what I would call allegories or, or proverbs for how he taught. Mm -hmm. he'd, he'd make up a story that wasn't intended to be historically true. It just the players and the characters in the story and what happened would have some sort of connection to the truth he was communicating. And um, I just really found myself resonating with that, uh, both as a student of preaching and also just spiritually. I just found him to be, he would describe things in a way that I would get. And he, uh, he had a message that he delivered called Keeper of the Springs. And at the beginning of the message, and it wasn't about guarding your heart. It was actually about the enormous influence that women hold in society as they shape uh, the children that they raise. But anyways, uh, in the opening illustration of that sermon, he talks, he, he has an allegory. And it's, again, it's made up, but there was, in the story, there was a town that had what, what was called the Keeper of the Springs. It was this hermit guy that lived in the hills, and his job was to go and make sure that all the springs that, you know, provided water down into the city below, they were kept clean, free of debris and, you know, moving and, and all the things, and how the town flourished because of the life-giving water, clean, healthy water that flowed through it. And then in the allegories, some city council members decide they want to save some money. And so they decide they're going to build a reservoir and not pay the keeper of the springs anymore. And then he goes on to describe how the water became, you know, stagnant and contaminated. And then downstream from that, there were, people got sick and the water smelled and it didn't taste very good and wildlife left. And then the city kind of realizes what they've done and they bring back the keeper of the springs. And I just, I just, that story, I've always used it in relationship to Proverbs chapter four, verse 23 is that, um, these springs that feed the life that come out of us is like a spring of water. That's, you know, kind of the center, the source of all of life. And if it gets contaminated, then it, ends up creating harm in, in all kinds of arenas of our life, relationally, spiritually, mentally, physically. And so that's a, it's a really, really pertinent uh, instruction of Scripture. And I love it that it occurs in the book of Proverbs, which is all about wise living. And the proverb is saying this, wise people are really careful what gets into their heart. 
because they understand that out of it flows so much that really impacts their life. And so that's, that's the admonition. That's where it comes from. I'm not really sure that everybody in the church who uses it really understands it's kind of biblical and spiritual source. Yeah. I kind of, I hear it a lot of the times in, Maybe I don't necessarily hear it, but I feel like it's been used kind of just as like an offhand, yeah, kind of a, a push away type of thing. Um, okay, so it's this the innermost being uh, of of us as far as the heart goes, and we're supposed to guard it. What what exactly are we supposed to guard it from? Well, any anything that feeds your heart, or really anything that enters your mind ends up in the heart. So in a very practical, tangible kinds of ways, anything that we look at, anything that we hear, anything that we feel physically, anything that we experience by way of living life, all of that comes into our mind and ends up in our heart. It ends up in that grand central place. So if those experiences or the things that I'm looking at or the things I listen to or the, the, the tactile, tactile things that I experience physically, they end up informing me at the very center of who I am. And they have an influence. And so really in practical terms, what we're saying is be careful what you look at. And, and there's just a host of visual stimulus in life from, you know, movies and television to magazines to um, places that you go and see things. So he's saying, be careful what you allow yourself to look at or linger upon because that, that ends up inside of you. Um, be careful what you listen to. Again, music, media, um, messaging. Be careful because that all ends up inside of you. Um, I think it really comes down, you know, on one level, it's very tactile. The stuff that you feel physically as pleasure, that's not a bad thing unless those pleasures are being um, experienced at the hand of something that's destructive, then that ends up down inside of you and it ends up having an enormous influence on your life. And uh, you know, a, a, an illustration of this is uh, my wife and I are, are very different. And I can say this with, without any reservation. She is, without a doubt, the most self-disciplined person that I've ever known when it comes to guarding her heart. I mean, it is amazing. Like, if we're watching television, and just the ad for some new movie comes out and the ad or the trailer is either violent or, you know, kind of has some kind of demonic look and feel to it. She literally like within seconds, milliseconds, she closes her eyes. She'll mute the television or she'll turn the channel. She will not tolerate it. She, I mean, she literally hates that kind of negative, um, immoral influence in her, in her life. She won't watch it. She won't listen to it. Um, 
she's very quick. She she is not a woman who will entertain gossip or like unfair critical conversations of other people. If that starts happening, she walks away or she interrupts and redirects the conversation. She just won't tolerate it. And then there's me and I'm like the opposite. Um, I use this word and it's, I'm not using it literally. I'm just a very curious person, but at times my curiosity gets me into trouble. I can be very voyeuristic about everything. It's like, I want to peek inside. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, I can find myself, I'll watch the commercial like, Oh, I wonder what this movie is about, but I, I'm not guarding my heart or I'll listen to this song because, well, this song's really popular right now. I want to know what people are listening to. Well, I've just allowed that crud from that song to I've allowed it into my heart. Um, you know, I've, I've never, ever been interested in drugs, even as a young person who there was opportunity for drugs and alcohol. I hate being out of control. So I literally never had any fascination with drugs or alcohol. And it, it, I had no problems with peer pressure or, you know, kind of social pressure to do it. I, I just like, no, not going to do it. But you know what, if I see a documentary or some kind of docu-series on the drug trade, drug trafficking, I want to peek inside. I kind of want to see how that works and what goes on. And, and you get exposed to a lot of really ugly stuff. So I'm not as careful. Well, guess what? I've, I've paid the price on that because it, you know, in my life, I allowed something to have too much access to my heart and it ended up creating real complications for me that I battled for a long time and now have to be very, very careful and cautious about because I wasn't, I wasn't careful with my heart because once it's in there, it doesn't go away. Even yeah. the stuff that we forget, it's still in there and the right circumstances, the right stimulus can bring it back up. So like imagine literally a well of water and if germs get in there, an animal gets in there and dies, that contaminates that well. And then if you don't know that that's happening, you're drinking from it and you're, you know, becoming sick or diseased because of the water that you're drinking. And I, that's what Proverbs 23 is all about. Yeah. And that, while the, the, that picture isn't used all through scripture, that theme is time and time again, be careful what you think about because your thinking has such a profound influence on everything about your life. Yeah. And it's kind of a weird line. It's not not really, but sometimes it can be an odd line to walk because for instance, like there's some things that I would rather not, <clears throat> I guess it also depends your purpose in, can, in your purpose in what and how you consume something. Sure. Cause there's some things that like, I'm, I'd rather not learn about this just because I think it's, you know, certain things in the culture or whatever that I completely disagree with. Um, but I do I feel not that I necessarily feel a responsibility, but I feel yeah, maybe so feel responsible to like learn about certain things so I can at least know what's going yeah, on. You want to be conversant yeah. toward it in relationship to the other higher purposes of what you're doing with your knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a dilemma that I live in because as a preacher and a teacher, I want, I want to be relevant. I want to help people understand the relevance of scripture to everyday life. And 
So that includes being aware of what people are encountering in society, in culture, in their lifestyles. And I live in a certain tension, like how do I, how to develop an awareness to be conversant about those things without at the same time kind of exposing my heart to a lot of lousy stuff. Yeah. And one of the huge contributors to all this nowadays is social media and the junk that's out there and uh, how many people just, you know, traffic trolling through Facebook and Instagram and a host of other social media sites where they're seeing, you know, the whole political division and the vitrolic conversation of politics nowadays. Well, you want to, you want to be aware of what's going on in your world politically, but at the same time, you're picking up all of the negative hate filled, you know, manipulative propaganda. Well, that's, that's getting into your heart. And, you know, I had to make some decisions, um, just in the last two years about the extent to which I was engaged in social media because I noticed that it was making me angry yeah. and it was making me, you know, feel stuff. And that's part of the danger of being exposed to stuff because you're looking at it or listening to it and it gets into your heart and then it creates things that are unhealthy and destructive in our heart that then comes out of our life because that's how that works. What's inside of us comes out. Yeah. Well, and kind of, I guess in that same way, like, you know, G Jesus describes a relationship with him. And I think even the, the, the word itself has been described this way, like God, the scriptures as a well of living water. So that you're not needing all of these other sources to right. stay, you know, uh, fulfilled and sustained. And so I've found it very, I, I don't see it being all that difficult. There's some, there's some different things that you'll encounter throughout your life where going outside of the biblical worldview is really, even really all that necessary. Mm -hmm. Um, most things, even if the scriptures don't necessarily directly apply to it, I'm not needing to spend that much time really, you know, wrestling through different ideas to apply what the Bible would probably have to say, like what wisdom the Bible brings to the certain circumstance. Um, I don't really find it all that difficult. There's not a whole lot of like outside, right. you know, outside things that are necessary for me to know what my stance would be on said thing. Right. Again, this, just hearing you say that and knowing you as, as my friend, I would say probably the reason why that's not as big of a challenge for you is you have a pretty disciplined mind and you pursue um, equipping yourself to think well. Sure. Okay. Well, you're, you're a bit of an exception, certainly at your age. Um, a lot of young people and a lot of old people my age, uh, they haven't spent the time and the energy really being careful of their thoughts. And so essentially, and the scripture would make a case for this, you're, you're just a sucker then for anything that comes down the pike. 
and you're kind of enamored or you're at least a sitting duck for anything that's, you know, offered. Whenever you were talking about scrolling social media, I thought, well, most of those people aren't, they aren't necessarily just scrolling social media because they really like the drama. They're looking for their opinions. Yeah. They've abjugated their thinking to whoever their right. pundit is it's on easier. social media. It's yeah. easier. And just their talking that, points, their arguments, everything. Yeah, it's just easier because somebody's handing it to yeah. you. And if you're not disciplined in your mind, then that's what you do. You just believe everything that comes your way or everything that feeds your ego or your current present beliefs or your, you know, logic or understanding of stuff. And so that's that's where echo chambers all you know, end up developing is I just listen to the viewpoints that I agree with. And that's because that's a lack of mental discipline. But it takes an enormous amount of discipline, not only to discern what is incompatible or inconsistent with the scriptures, but it takes an enormous amount of discipline to then keep blocking it out. And, uh, you know, I, in the last 10 years, I've been on this kind of personal journey and part of my journey included the pursuit of becoming an Iron Man. And, and if I learned anything, I learned a ton through that experience. Um, the, the mental discipline it takes to accomplish big things and your body will send you a million messages and it's your mind that either gives in or stands up and says, no, we're, we're not quitting. We're not giving up. We're not stopping until we finish what we've started to do. And, um, it takes an enormous amount of discipline to listen to your mind and keep it focused in the right direction. And the same is true spiritually for, for human beings. If your mind is lazy and you'll just entertain any thought, then, then you can travel down any path and those paths can be really destructive yeah you're just tossed to and fro with the waves yeah, right which is what james describes and so um i think the i think part of living wisely and as a devoted follower of jesus christ um it has there's a part of that it has to do with developing a discipline of mind um the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth, take every thought captive. Mm. That's a very vivid picture. Like every thought that traffics through your brain, he's basically saying, stop it and ask, ask it, does it belong here? Is this true? Is this right? Is good? And you look at Philippians 4, whatever's true, whatever's good, whatever's lovely, whatever's right. Think on these things. That's that mental discipline. Just don't be entertaining all this other it's our podcast, all this other crap, because it has an impact on your soul and on your life. It, it comes out of you in all those ways. And so, yeah, the discipline of mind is, um, is really, really important. You know, because of my own story and, and guys that I, you know, have opportunity to talk with and help navigate um, this whole battle with, you know, lust and pornography and, and, uh, that whole mental side of that addiction really in many ways is ultimately determined by what you think about. Yeah. 
And if you entertain those images in your head and you're feeding your eyes with that kind of content, that's getting down in your heart and it's contaminating what happens there. And then it overflows out of your life with all sorts of behaviors and mindsets and values that are completely contrary to God's design for your life. And the person who's making progress away from that addicti- uh, that addiction or that lifestyle, they'll all tell you is at some point they had to get grip, they had to get a grip on their mind. And, you know, being a hundred different places from the beach to almost any public setting now, avoiding what you look at. Yeah. It's inappropriate so that your thoughts don't traffic that way. Uh, what you watch on television, what you look at in your, your spare time or when you're alone, all of that, um, you, the person who's making progress has learned, I can't go there. I can't let that in because in my weakness or my, uh, my propensity toward that temptation is I'm just off to the races in the wrong direction all because of a thought that gets entertained and that thought blossoms and turns into really destructive behavior. Yeah. Well, I mean, an example of that, like I've mentioned on this podcast that like, there's a reason why I go to the gym at a certain time and not later in the day or whatever. There's more people, more younger people, all that kind of junk. And I'm like, just don't need that. Um, and and, eyes down. Yeah. And I, you and I've had that conversation before that's called wisdom. Yeah. You're making a choice to protect yourself from an influence that you know to be harmful to your life and your soul. And so you've made a choice to do something different as a way to avoid it. That's, that's what wise people do. They make those kinds of choices and they honor those kind of choices as disciplines because they have something higher they want to be or what they want to accomplish. Yeah. Well, and you also, and you've mentioned several times, both with the lust thing, but also with training for Ironman, that there was a piece of you, there's a piece of you telling you different things. And then another, like another part of you has to come in and override it. And so this, this idea of guarding your heart, sometimes it can, it can seem like we're just talking about outside sources, but I think that there's a big part of it that is both internal Mm -hmm. because Paul also tells us, not you, but the also Paul. Paul. Yeah, the other Paul. The one other one. Um, <laughs> uh, he also tells us, well, we have to renew our mind. And so yep. they're in, you know, saying that there is an old you and then there's this new you now with Christ. Um, and the reason I bring this up is because nowadays in our culture, everything, and we've talked about this recently and a couple of weeks ago, it's like this, this therapeutic human secularist culture where it's all about the self and Outside sources are seen as being the contaminators. Mm-hmm. It's always culture, it's society, the patriarchy, whatever, right. racism, all this stuff. Um, and the internal part of you is pure. Mm-hmm. You're, you're born pure, you're born good. That, that thought alone is completely incompatible with scripture. And so what are your thoughts about, what do you think just about the, the self side of guarding your heart, guarding yourself from yourself. Yeah. So, I mean, you have to recognize, like you just said, the heart, Jeremiah tells us the heart is deceitful. It's desperately wicked because of the impact of sin. So while our heart is, um, grand central station to our life, we have to be careful of it because it does have 
the capacity or, or the inclination toward wrong. Wrong thoughts, wrong beliefs, wrong truths, wrong behaviors, wrong choices. And so um, we, we have to be aware of that. So that's why in the scriptures it becomes so imperative to have input in your mind that's restorative, redemptive, and so Romans, renew your mind. Why? Because your mind is just inundated every day with all sorts of inappropriate information. So time in the scriptures and time in prayer and time in Sabbath, those are opportunities for you to put positive, um, constructive material in your mind to basically do battle against that which is destructive. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people, two things that they, they live, they live with a lot of lies that they believe to be true. And a lot of people live with really lousy messages. You know, these tapes that play in their head about I'm stupid, I'm worthless, I'm bad, I'm evil, all these yeah. things. And they, they live their life with that tape playing over and over and over again. So the renewing of our mind is about, and the taking every thought captive those are, those are really practical instructions about um, learning to think properly. And so renewing our mind and allowing the scripture's truth to penetrate into our soul is a way that we say, oh, we, we, it's a way of recognizing, oh, I've been believing a lie. Or I have this message that I play on an endless loop in my head, but it's not true. This is not how God sees me. This is not what God thinks of me. But I've been allowing this, this message to play on a loop. And, you know, uh, Ephesians, what is it? Ephesians 6, um, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but all these spiritual influences and in that passage, the schemes, like the, the, the little tricky ways that Satan designs in order to tempt us, in order to lead us away, in order to have influence in us. Um, and what he's doing is he uses these deceptive kinds of ideas. They get into our head and our heart and we start believing them and we start behaving out of them. Like, oh, sin's not really that bad. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. I have Christ in my life, so I'm forgiven. I can do as I please. Well, those are all lies. Yeah. And he loves that because we end up chasing down wrong paths and Part of the renewal that you were talking about from Romans 12 is about putting ourselves at a place where we're being exposed to the truth so that we can sort of discern and decipher between right beliefs and wrong beliefs. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, yeah, like, and again, this is always such a challenge with the church and with Christians is how do you get them to understand the power of the scriptures without turning it into, you know, the box that they have to check or the hoop they have to jump through in order to, well, I read my Bible, so I'm a good Christian. I go, that, that's not the point. It's, it's about reading the Bible so that its influence can inform my heart and my mind the truth of what God wants me to understand. So I don't read it to get it over as quickly as possible. I don't read it to, you know, kind of fulfill my 15 minute obligations before I carry on with the other parts of my life. I read it because I'm 
I'm trusting in its power to have influence to expose and to help me decipher and distinguish what it is that's going on in my heart that isn't compatible with God's design for my life. Yeah. Well, I think you, I think you do this or if you've done it in the past, whenever you kind of break down this, uh, hierarchy of the way in which your thoughts kind of come to be or your actions happen. So you have like thinking, principles, choosing, yeah, doing. thinking, yeah, thinking, choosing, doing, and then like, I guess kind of broken down and Jordan Peterson talks about this too, but you have like what values, like what he do you probably want? got it from me? You know, yeah, he probably did. <laughs> I'm sure he's a listener of the podcast. I'm <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> probably a big fan. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, but that was incredible. Like <clears throat> both how you broke it down and then also how he kind of broke down. Just like, well, how, how are you just living your life by the seat of your pants or like, is there something that your foundation is on? And I think the scriptures even talk, yeah, the scriptures talk about like, what are you building your house on? Right. And for a lot of people, I think for a lot of uh, Christians, that just really isn't, maybe, maybe that's just not really explained very well, or they just don't care one or the other. I mean, there's probably some in both camps, but that isn't explained very well. And so like a lot of, you ever just look at somebody and you just go like, are they, is there any reason behind what they're doing? Or like, and this, this sounds incredibly judgmental, but I do it. I'm not going to lie to you. I look at them. I'm like, are they thinking about this? I don't know how many people are like actively thinking across the way that they live and all of their actions. If, if there's anything consistent other there, am I making any sense? Yeah, you're making sense. And I, I agree with you. You know, I've told the story that when I turned 50, I had kind of this, mm -hmm. you know, dawning about the urgency of life and ended up spending two years really examining what I called life and living. What is life and how do we go about living it? This was a fascination to me for two years in a really kind of um, intentional way, reading, talking to people, making notes, um, making observation. And part of what I learned was that most people they don't have an intentionality about their life. They, the way that one of the things I saw is that a lot of people, um, they live their life with the script that's handed to them. Yeah. And it's the script of their parents and the script of their professors and the script of their coaches and script of their boss. The man the, on the TV. The company that they work for and the man on the TV. And they just sort of, they just sort of exist from day to day just kind of taking it as it comes. And part of what I was concerned about in that period of reflection and evaluation of my life was I wanted my life to be lived more purposefully with greater intention. And what I ended up doing is I decided I needed to basically create a roadmap for myself, yeah. a, a blueprint. What, what did I want to accomplish? And then I had to decide to start leveraging time and energy toward those things. Otherwise they were just going to be wishful thinking. But I, I see a lot of people who live their lives kind of, um, seduced by what is often called the American dream. And, but what that ends up looking like is I, I go to school, I get out of school, I get a job, I work for a few years, I get married, I have kids, I buy a house, I work for a few more years, I retire, 
I play golf and go on cruises and then I'm done. And I know that sounds really simplified, of course, but that's kind of how people just sort of go through life. This is, this is what you do. And what I decided, you know, 10 years ago for me is that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to accomplish some very specific things and knew I had to be very intentional about how I ordered my life in order to get there. And so the American dream isn't my dream. I have a, another dream. And so, but all that, that all comes back to one of my great discoveries of that period of reflection is the power of thinking, choosing, and doing. It, it is, in fact, the foundational or fundamental catalyst for how life works. Yeah. And so where does that begin? It begins with thinking. And where's thinking found? It's found in our mind, which is influenced or, um, yeah, influenced by our heart. So if our heart's contaminated, our mind's contaminated, our mind's contaminated, our choices will be contaminated. If our choices are contaminated, then our habits and actions and pursuits of life will be contaminated. And what I mean by that, they'll, they'll not be as fully intentional or healthy as they can be. And therefore they're destructive, they're unhealthy and they're unprofitable. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, and I was, um, is that, why, why is it that Christians, I feel like there's almost like this anti like not anti-intellectual, but like kind of a dumbing down of the faith to where that type of thinking isn't necessarily encouraged. Do you see that to be the case? Or do you think that there's this? Um, yeah, because of a under, a misunderstanding of what faith is. Sure. And so I think there's been this battle throughout church history where, um, faith is perceived as something different than intellect. Mm -hmm. And we live in a world that isn't going to prize faith. We live in a world that's going to prize intellect, but you have the church or the Christian community and they, their impression is, oh, I must really embrace faith, which often sounds like, well, then I have to kind of shake intellect. And, you know, it's a funny phrase, but you hear a phrase of, you know, once you enter the church, you leave your brain at the door. And that's so contrary to one, an understanding of faith and two, what, what God intended for us. Uh, faith, again, I'll, I'll be very unpopular in this perspective, but faith is very intellectual. It's, it's very rational. It's based on reason. And um, so I, I don't see a separation between the two. Well, it's, for somebody who disagrees, if there's anybody out there who disagrees with what he just said, read the book of Romans and tell me exactly what it means. There you go. Pretty intellectual book. Yeah. It, it, Paul was an intellectual guy. Again, again, I work from a little bit of a contrarian definition of faith and how most people um, understand it. Um, I see it as trust. Yeah. And it takes intelligence to wisely discern what's trustworthy. And so um, people who place their trust in money or their trust in security, or their trust in government, or their trust in family, or comfort. trust in comfort, their trust in intellect. Um, what they're missing is that none of those things are completely trustworthy. They, they're fragile. They can break at some point. Whereas I put my faith in God, 
And I have good reason for that. And I've come to the conclusion it's the smartest, wisest way to go about living my life. Not because I traded my brain in the door, because I'm smart enough to kind of see what works and what doesn't work. And so, yeah, I think part of what you're describing is that there's this battle in the church. Battle. I don't know if that's the right word, but there's this tension in the church of faith being the supreme thing. And I agree with that, but I don't think that faith in and of itself is unintelligent, unintellectual. Um, Well, because you still have to, going back to your think, choose, do thing, but you're still having to think and then choose whether or not to put your faith in Christ. And so, but you can't do that before the thinking. It's not, no, yeah. It's not, there's no choosing without the thinking. Yeah. A person who chooses Jesus without really thinking through his trustworthiness, um, their, their faith is somewhat superficial, uninformed, and therefore it's not sustainable. A lot of the times that's, these people might come back around later on, but like most, most people who graduate high school will then dip from the church for at least two to four years. Sure. Some of them come back later on, but all, I mean, most of that participation in high school was probably superficial to begin with. Yeah. It's an interesting discussion about all of that. Um, I've heard the phrase something like, well, they had a, they had a Sunday school faith yeah. and they heard all these stories and they were young and impressionable and, and they believed them on a, you know, kind of a, uh, religious level, but it wasn't intellectually sound. And so then they get quote unquote thrown to the wolves in college where they're, they're encountering so many different perspectives and ideologies and they just don't have the wherewithal to argue with them even within themselves not argue with the person but to argue like is that right is that wrong and so they're again this is a picture in the bible we're just suckers then to believe just about anything that comes down the line and and i think that's what happens a lot to students in college that don't really have a sound understanding of their faith they have some stories and they you know had sort of a predicted behavior that was required of them in their home or in their church but not really exercised an understanding of of that faith intellectually yeah to where they could defend it and i think that's why you see that dip or that loss of you know, confidence and faith that we see so often in that age group. Yeah. And, and a good bit of it too, is just, they don't guard their heart at all for a little while and see how it goes. (laughs) They're just having fun. (laughs) Yeah. Quote unquote. Um, but yeah. Okay. So I kind of, I'm kind of seeing this almost as like just a filtration of what you allow to flow in. And so there's the keeping the bad stuff out, but there's also this need to, recognize what's good at the same time mm-hmm. and so that comes from time in scripture participation with the body of christ would you say um prayer and um just conversations with other like-minded folks probably yeah i mean there's lots of different ways that you can basically input positive helpful stuff that can come from others that can come from your own 
research and and what's often called devotion, uh, the habits of devotion. Um, but yes, so I think that it's a need for both. But I think what Proverbs is saying is you got to be really careful what you let in because it ultimately comes out. You So back to your wife, um, how she has very, very little tolerance for anything. Now, a piece of this is that <clears throat> a lot of the t- things that we need to guard actually come from other people in our life. So how, how strict are yeah. we... Yeah. with the people in our lives that maybe are tossing trash into our stream? That's a great question, Wyatt. That's good. Um, <laughs> Thank you. No, that's exactly some of the, you know, practical, tangible, tactical realities of really distension sort, too. of sorting out that verse. I mean, so what you just described is Jesus saying, you know, come out from the world, be separate. That doesn't mean you don't go shopping at, the grocery store that you don't yeah. go to school or that you don't, it doesn't mean you never leave your house. It just means that you have to be really careful that you're having the influence rather than they're having the influence on how you think and live your life. And, um, so yeah, if, if you have, and, and this is, we'll, we'll keep it in the realm of like teenagers and young 20 somethings you know, being accepted and being liked and, you know, having a peer group is really, really important in those years uh, to, for a lot of some very good reasons to developing that sort of um, understanding of who you are in the world. Um, but one of the challenges of that is, you know, the influences that come from your peers. So if your peers are inviting you into uh those kinds of behaviors or thoughts that are destructive, then you have to make some choice. How much time do I spend with those particular peers? And this is where young people get it wrong all the time because of their need to be accepted and to be popular and to be liked. Um, they, they allow people who are poor influence to have too much influence and they end up you know, getting sideways in their faith or walking away from Christ or, or end up doing something that really harms their, their life, uh, legally or personally or emotionally, physically. And, and so, yeah, um, is it first Corinthians bad company corrupts good morals? Yeah. That's all about influence. And so, but that's not just a teenage thing. I mean, I generally serve adults and I see it all the time in adults is the peer group that they run in and whether that's who they golf with or play tennis with or go to the country club with or you know go to do you know fun entertaining things with a lot of times those are people who are not committed followers of Christ and they're wanting to do things that are very contrary to a Christian's lifestyle in obedience to Jesus and they, that Christian folds under the peer pressure. Yeah. I mean, peer pressure is just as vivid when you're 40 as it is when you're 14, especially if you've never developed the muscle to be able to stand up against peer pressure. And that, that ends up you just compartmentalizing your life. So you have your Christian 
Then you have your non-Christian exactly. and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, so you, you live one way maybe at home or when you go to church, but come the weekend when you're hanging out with your friends, the, the language that you use and the things that you do and, and the stuff you laugh at and the stuff you, you know, participate in is so contrary, sorry, so contrary to the life Christ has called us to. And so that's where it becomes, you know, attention. That's where it becomes difficult. Like, well, do I just not hang out with my friends? Well, if your friends are having that kind of an influence on your life that's pulling you away from a commitment to Jesus, then you might need to consider some new friends. That doesn't mean you have to be ugly. That, mean, that doesn't mean you never hang out with them. That doesn't mean that you can't have anything to do with them. That's not what that means. It just means I have to be really careful how much influence I allow them to have because I'm either not strong enough in my faith or I don't have the courage to stand up and decide for myself what I'm going to participate in. Yeah, and so I think there's a big part of it that's a courage issue and maybe not feeling or confident in what, what it is that you believe. I think also, too, there's this, um, especially now, it, it seems like we're tearing down our own walls for the sake of other people's feelings, and then they don't even want to come inside of our walls. They just want them down. Yeah. And so those dividers that we keep up in order to protect uh, us or our community, or like my home, for instance, like especially whenever I have kids, I'm very particular about who I let in here and what they're like, if somebody starts spousing off like occult stuff, I'd rather just not, I'd rather just not wing it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Let's not start talking about occult things in my home. Yeah. You can go someplace else with that. Not here, but what I'm just, I think what you, I think you understand what I'm trying to say is that, um, so that we become be loving. We talk about this all the time, but so we can be loving. We've taken down our walls and our yeah. defensives. Yeah. I got a quote here, I think very timely to this exactly what you're talking about. Oh, good. I'm, I'm not checking my email or anything here. Well, this makes up for my really bad transition to get us into the conversation. <laughs> good transition to your quote. So I just saw this the other day and thought this was so good. So in your description of us letting down our walls so that we're, you know, loving and accepting, we allow dangerous influence into yeah the life. barbarian said you hurt my feelings and we opened up the gates <laughs> okay <laughs> perfect way to say that so i love this quote so jesus didn't eat with sinners and tax collectors because he wanted to appear inclusive tolerant and accepted he ate with them to call them to a changed and fruitful life to die to self and live for him his call is transformation of life, not affirmation of identity. I thought that was... That's amazing. That's and really so, good. something else too, is we always compare. There's a lot of, I guess, progressive Christians or pastors that I, the ones that I've seen or listened to or the friends that I have, um, they'll say, well, like, well, well, we need to do the same thing that Jesus did. Not all of us are as strong as Jesus to not <laughs> fall in, 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 you know, in the, um, the bar with all the sinners and tax collectors and stuff, right. right? We aren't Jesus. And in the same way, people will talk about like 
if the like for instance if the public schools keep going how they're going the likelihood of me putting my child in a public school is very low and that's not me knocking people who i grew up in the public school okay. i'm just saying okay. if i can if, if i can me and my family can can do anything that we can do to make that not the case i'm going to do that the case and people are like well i want my little child to go be the light in the dark light place world. it's yep. like the likelihood that you're your child's going to go be stamped out by the darkness because it's a child and there's a thousand other children. Yeah. Likelihood your kid is going to be that. He might be slim chance though. And, and so it's like, why would I put myself necessarily in certain situations or my, or my kids in certain blah, 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 blah. So yes, I love what you're saying. And we're not Jesus all the time, but yes, right. We are supposed to call them, not affirm them. Yeah. And you know, going out to, you know, to dinner or going to the lake yeah. with your friends. There's nothing dangerous or wrong about that. I'm not, I sure hope nobody's hearing that. It's what are we talking about? What are we laughing at? What are we doing when we're with people like that? That the Christian is doing things that are terribly inconsistent with their devotion to Christ. That's the concern. Well, and, and are they influencing you more than yeah. you have any kind of influence on them? Exactly. So, you know, we're called to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And so as long as we're playing that role in the life of our friends, then we're fine. It's when I decide, well, everybody else is getting drunk. I think I will too. Everybody else is talking about women this way. Oh, I think I will too. Everybody else is, and you just name the things. And that's where, what Jesus is saying, you know, you gotta, you gotta pull away from that because that's compromising your, your commitment to me. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I agree. I agree. And everybody else is not a very good reason to do something. And that also just shows there isn't any, there's no filter. There's no filtration. Right. It's just, uh, well, everybody else is. Yeah. And it's, you know. We expect to, to hear that at some point. We expect to hear that with a 14-year-old. <laughs> it's just really heartbreaking when it's a 44-year-old. Well, those are my friends, and, I, I, you know, if I don't do that kind of stuff, I, you know, they're not going to invite me to come back. And, you know, as, as a pastor, you have, you have this kind of fatherly heart for your, your people, and you— and I always recognize, well, you are 44, so I, you know, I can't, can't tell you you can't, but your heart just breaks because of what wisdom tells you will be some of the consequences. Um, what I see, and this is just an illustration of it, is you got 44-year-old parents who they succumb to peer pressure. They do all sorts of things, and it's inevitable they're, 10, 12, 14 year old sees it and they're just, they're just learning lessons. I go, Oh, well, this is how the big people do it. Even the big people who call themselves Christians, they do these things. Well, then that parent shouldn't be surprised that three years later, their heart's broken because their kid's making all sorts of choices that is influenced by peer pressure. Why? Cause they learned it at home. They learned it from mom and dad. And, um, that that's the part where as a pastor, your heart just kind of breaks because I can't tell a 44 year old how to behave. I can, I can propose to them how they might behave, but I can't make them behave a certain way. They're going to make their choices. And we've discussed before, there was that point in ministry where I just had to make the choice. I can't 
shoulder the weight of other people's choices because it's just too heavy a burden to care. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the fact that yeah, there's differences between, like you said, well, we would expect a 14-year-old to say it, not necessarily a full-grown adult, yet they do. Yeah. As I grew up, and the more that I've been in the church and just talking to different people, I've I've recognized that on my own, which has made it to where the nervousness of, like, say, my first sermon or even teaching in the big room doesn't, that doesn't play into it as much because I'm like, at some level, I'm like, well, I'm so young. Why, why would they listen to me? But then I'm like, oh, yeah, well. We all do the same stuff, no matter whether we're 14 or 44. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, it's, though a little depressing that you don't grow out of some of these things. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, back to where we started, and I can, I can testify to this from a very personal place, is what we think about and what we let into our mind is so so incredibly influential in the course of our life. And again, Proverbs 4 is saying, so be very careful. Watch out about what you let in. And again, we just live in a society that has so many resources that we can, make our, we can make ourselves available to that we just literally get inundated by it. Uh, everything from movies to commercials. I mean, commercials can be incredibly deceptive. That's their whole appeal is what lie do we have to tell to get somebody to buy? And, um, you know, I think I've shared this on the podcast before when, when my boys were little, mm -hmm. I started recognizing how deceptive commercials can be, how misleading they could be. So I, when I had an opportunity, I, I didn't do it every time, but there was certainly a, enough of a habit to it. My boys, you know, talk about it and refer to it nowadays, but we'd have conversations about what is this, what is this commercial selling you? And they would, they would, when they were young, they, before they got onto me, you know, they always say, well, they're selling us a product. It's a beverage or it's a car or it's, a, I go, no, what are they really selling? And Basically, they're selling a lifestyle. And the, and the lie is, if you buy our product, this will be your lifestyle. <laughs> that's, that's, that, it's not true. But um, so even commercials can be incredibly influential. Drive down I-10 and there's five billboards that can send you off in so many dangerous directions in, in your life. So you have to be careful. You have to, well, I'm not, I'm not looking there because that's not good for me. Um, how many places we go to that offer, um, you know, for the person who struggles with, um, you know, alcohol, how many places you go to, it's there, it's, it's everywhere. And so it, that's where you just have to be careful. Perfect example of that. So I go to Planet Fitness. It's cheap right. and it's close. Okay. It's a gym. They have a beer cooler. They don't have a beer cooler, but they used to have pizza Thursdays <laughs> at the fitness center. At the gym. And there's just all these pizza boxes out there. You can get pizza after your workout or before, God forbid. <laughs> it's like what? people who are like really struggling with like this, and you're just going to toss this in the place it's supposed to be like this, you know, walled off place. From That's funny. Uh, 
my oldest son, Paul Jay, has a brilliant mind and he has a brilliant sense of humor. I remember him one time saying, if I ever start a gym, I'm going to put it on the third floor with no elevators so I can weed out the quitters. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I thought that was so funny that, that he kind of put that all together. Uh, That's pretty good. But yes, yeah, I agree. I agree. So, all right. Well, any closing thoughts then? Yeah. I, as unoriginal as this sounds, guard your heart. Guard your heart, for out of it flows the springs of life. Everything about who you are, your attitude, your values, uh, your legacy, uh, your marriage, your influence as a parent, your productivity as, a, as an employee, um, your life as a friend, it all finds its roots in your heart. And... The good that comes out of it is because you'll be diligent enough to guard what it is that I'm putting in there. And I just, again, because of my own journey and my fascination for the book of Proverbs, I, I just see so much rich, uh, wisdom in, in that instruction. And, you know, it's been a particularly relevant to me and my journey but i've and not only just personally but as a pastor sitting in offices with people who you know i'm counseling with and just looking at the enormous scars that have been placed on people's hearts and lives because of poor choices that came from faulty thinking that was all informed because of what they allowed into their heart so yeah, uh, it's a great, great discussion about, I think, one of the really, really important topics of life. Yeah. Well, I had one thought, too, that I had forgotten when it came back, is that something that was helpful for me is that life now, especially with social media and videos and news or whatever, it's just nonstop. It's just loud. And so we talked about in the beginning part of the year, it's like uh, you talk about being with Jesus. So a lot of that was around the idea of Sabbath and um, even if it's just for, uh, you know, don't listen to something for this amount of time. It, the reason I'm bringing this up is because you need some, sometimes you need silence or slowing down to figure out if one, you're guarding your heart at all. And then two, to distinguish like what is it and isn't good, like what is good and what isn't. And, um, something I noticed in myself was just that I was listening and watching or doing so much stuff that I, w I didn't have time to check it and have time to filter mm. anything out or, or it was just happening so fast that I just kind of took, you know, social yeah. media is just one swipe, 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 swipe. I don't, social media is not really my th problem, but slow down enough so that you can actually do this stuff. And, and, and if there's a piece of you, that's kind of like, you know, if the Holy Spirit's trying to talk to you, but you don't have any time for him. Yeah. The way I see it is there are a lot of people that panic, literally panic. If there's silence mm -hmm. or something's not occupying their time or somebody's not telling them to do something. Yeah. They just get literally get nervous or anxious. Like, yeah. what do I do? Um, and I think our cell phones are an enormous culprit in that. You watch people panic that whatever spare minute they have, they can't jump on and check their, you know, likes 
and approvals, and that's all very um, addictive sort of behavior. But yeah, most people get really nervous if nothing's happened. And that's why I, I have found Sabbath to be such a, a blessing, whatever that word means. I've found it to be such a good thing. And, and it's easier for me maybe because I'm introspective and contemplative and I'm an introvert. So being alone, uh, being quiet doesn't scare me. It's, it's very comforting to me. But my observation is that for a lot of people, it's just a scary place to be. And that's like, not because they're all extroverts. No. It's because it's a scary place to be. Scary place to be. But like you just said, um, they don't like it, therefore they don't do it, and therefore they don't have time or opportunity to really verify or vet what it is that's occupying so much of their mind. Yeah. yeah. I agree. I mean, a lot of that's just sin, keeping them busy. Sure. Them telling themselves that they're busy. But. Yeah. Well, anyways, this is a great conversation. Hope that it was helpful or enlightening or um, entertaining. And sorry to the Aggie fans. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to say that a couple of times. You get one. Won't do it twice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. We'll see you guys next time. We hope you enjoyed this presentation of Cibolo Creek Community Church. If you did, please consider supporting the ministry of our church. Your donations make a difference. To check out more resources or to share a gift, please visit us at CibeloCreek.com. Thanks for listening.